Go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have one. If you don't, there are a few Bibles in front of you. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's page 1628 in your pew Bibles. We'd love for you just to follow along. I'm going to stay in the text the whole sermon. Um, So if you'll turn there, we can follow along together. Uh, I do want to give you a warning that as you turn to that text, you might see that we're covering some more sensitive uh, content this morning. And so if you still have kids in the room, maybe you want to think about uh, your kids hearing what uh, we're going to talk about, or if you have uh, sexual abuse or sexual trauma as a part of your story, if that's something that you need to be mindful of. just want to give you all the grace and permission to slide out as you look at the text and evaluate the next few minutes. Um, I'm Petey. I'm the senior pastor here. It is really good to be with you. About 36 hours ago, I got back into town from Cartagena, Colombia. I was on a mission trip with 18 other CPCers or 17 other CPCers to, to see the work of Opportunity International there. And, and last Sunday, we happened to be in a, a church service there in Cartagena. And um, about two hours into the worship service, those of us who do not speak Spanish thought we had at least already heard one sermon, if not two. And it turns out we had not heard any sermons because then there was a 45-minute sermon that followed that moment. So I'm so grateful to be back with you for a 60-minute service this morning. And... Um, but it was a beautiful, wonderful experience. I'll share some pictures and, a, and a, a story and a snippet in just a little bit. But as we get into this content, into this text in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 this morning, I want us to look at this quote together from uh, philosopher Alistair McIntyre. He said, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself a part of? So let's just sit on that for a second. I think what many get wrong when they talk about the role of sex and uh, intimacy and bodies in the lives of Christ followers is that they start with the question, what am I supposed to do? What am I to do? Rather than the question of what story do I find myself a part of? But I believe we cannot talk about sex or bodies or intimacy or even marriage as Christ followers until we understand the story that we are a part of, that everything that we do with our bodies is a reflection of who we are. And that includes sex. So this is a message for all of us. It's a message for those who are, who are uh, young and those who are experienced, those who are single and those who are newly married and those who've been married for, for decades. Because how we treat our bodies in and out of relationships matters. So today I'm going to follow the text and I'm gonna, we're going to see that this is related to sex and intimacy, but it could be applied to any other areas of our lives, different things we do with our bodies. Um, but what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians uh, is that these early Christians needed to learn that since they were redeemed in Christ, their bodies including their sex lives, were meant to experience and evidence God's powerful restoration, reconciliation, and redemption in their lives. So we're going to pick up in verse 12. Uh, As a brief reminder, 1 Corinthians is a letter written by uh, one of the earliest Christ followers, the Apostle Paul, to churches in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. It was written about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and um, he addresses, as you'll see, some very practical and direct things to these Christians. Verse 12, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is good for you. I have the right to do anything, 
but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both, which is a way of saying, what's the big deal? It's just food. It's just bodies. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. But his, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Let's pause right there. Now, if you know anything about uh, ancient Greek culture when it comes to their view of sex, you probably have in mind what we would call like a hedonistic view of sex in Greek culture. Think about movies and literature that you may have seen or read, and, and we sort of imagine these wild parties and free sex, and you're free to indulge in whatever it is that your body and your mind desires. And that was certainly one view of the body and sex in ancient Greece, but there was actually another view and and the Apostle Paul is interacting with it as well in this text. And there was an ancient philosophy known as Stoicism. And, and the Stoic view of sex was that you had to master and restrain and restrict your sexual desire so that you could achieve sort of a higher moral value or a higher moral good was through restraint. It was through mastering that physical desire. And so you see in the text, he said, I will not be mastered by anything. He's giving a nod to Stoicism. And the thing about both of these views, though, I want you to see, whether it's the hedonistic view or the Stoicism view, was that sex became, well, it was just sex. It was just something that could be used to achieve a desirable life, either through indulgence or restraint. And he goes on, he uses food as a contrasting example because it makes sense to us. We all know people who try to get to a desirable life by their restraint when it comes to food, manipulating their diet just so, or people that try to get to a desirable life through indulgence. They will eat and drink anything and everything. But what happens is both of these perspectives, the issue is that they believe that the things that we do in our body, whether it's about food or it's about sex, is disconnected from our souls and that we can just suppress or indulge without consequences. And he goes on to show an example of this in verse 15. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Prostitution was common in uh, Corinth and Greco-Roman culture. Never, never is his answer. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Let's pause right there. So I told you earlier, we just got back from Colombia and we had the opportunity to see the work of one of our mission partners on the ground there. And, and for, for decades, Opportunity has been doing microfinance. What they've started over the last few years is to realize that in, in places like Cartagena, Colombia, there's a whole class of people who, they're not like at the bottom of the ladder rung. They're like so far down, they can't even imagine what it would look like to grab the first rung. And so how can they come around these people and help them take steps towards like stability and security in their lives and self-sufficiency. And so that's what we got to see their work with. I had the privilege of getting to travel with my 16-year-old daughter, not only her first international mission trip, her first time leaving the United States in her 16 years. And so that was quite an eye-opening experience, but it was a gift to be able to experience that with her. But one of the shocking and horrible things that we learned is how trafficking and prostitution is, is so entangled with the lives of those at the bottom of the economic ladder in Cartagena and places like it around the world. 
And literally the work of just helping these people find stable footing and find some security significantly reduces the likelihood that sex for payment will be a part of their story. And so the Apostle Paul, he uses prostitution because prostitution is an extreme example of the ways that sex can be extracted from relationships and souls and it can be commodified, that it can be just viewed as a physical act. His point is, sex is never just sex. It can't actually just be Commodified. It can't be detached and detangled from the rest of our lives. It cannot just be shed or indulged without consequences. Because prostitution is a, an extreme and clear example that when sex is just a transaction of bodies, it can easily be used to dehumanize and destroy. It does that to us, it does that to others. And the modern Western view of sex that pervades us is, is not too much different, where we believe that no one has the right to tell us what to do, that I am free to do whatever I desire in my own bodies. I'm not bound by anything. And so for many in our culture, whether it's outside of marriage or within marriage or extramarital, sex becomes primarily about a vehicle. It becomes a way for us to meet our own individual desires. And that explains the rise of pornography and trafficking in our world today because sex has been detached. It's just become an act for instant gratification. And we've been taught by, by pop culture and movies and, and all of the technology that's at our fingertips that, that physical pleasure should be on demand. And it starts with just seeking freedom from restraints because we think it will lead to a more satisfying life. But what happens is the opposite actually occurs. That sex is never just sex. There's no such thing as sex without consequences. Author and pastor Joe Carter wrote an article where he addresses the things that we miss when we think that sex is just a detached act for a satisfying life. It's a little long of a quote. He's using a, an example from modern life. I just want you to track with me. Some people will claim that there is something valuable to be gained by having multiple sexual partners before settling down for lifelong monogamy. And I don't think any of us would disagree that is a common thought in today's world. These misguided souls completely miss the point. Sex is not a technique to be mastered, but a means of communicating. Which might sound odd at first, but hang in there. Sexual intercourse is a nonverbal expression of profound commitment, openness, and trust. Having multiple sexual partners as a means of preparing for marriage is like mastering the art of lying in order to become a paragon of honesty. The Christian story is about redeemed bodies, whole lives restored by the sacrificial love of Jesus. And that means that sex can never just be a transaction of bodies. It's about commitment and trust. And when our bodies are united, when, when our souls are knit together, it communicates what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about the other person. That's why Paul says in verse 17, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. He's saying that what you do with your bodies is inseparable from your soul. 
And if you're following Jesus, what you do, everything that you do is connected to the presence of the Spirit in your life for openness and trust and vulnerability and intimacy and joy. So it's easy to believe the lie that we're free to do whatever we want, that we're not bound by anything. But friends, it's a lie because we are all bound by our flesh. Whether we like it or not, we are bound by our flesh. We are bound by our desires. And the Apostle Paul, in all of his letters, he writes harshly and often about the consequences of ignoring the power of our flesh in our lives. When we act as if the flesh doesn't have power over us, that it's something we can just restrain or indulge, it has disastrous consequences. That's why he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their body. Now, there have been times in my life where I've been training for something, whether it's training for a marathon or a big team relay race or a major sporting event. And in those seasons, I know that because I'm preparing my body for a major physical event, there are some things that are off the table for me. Right? There are some things I want to eat, but I know they won't be good for me. There are some things I want to do, like stay up really late and do this with friends, but I know it won't be good for me. There are things that are off the table. So what he's saying is that because you follow Jesus, some things are off the table for you. If you missed uh, James' sermon last week where he talked about that sin is bad for you. We're called to run from sin, to, to do everything we can to make sure that sin doesn't drag us down. Like that is... That's the story we find ourselves in, that there is no private sin. That sin always spills over into the lives of those around us. That we're called to flee from sexual immorality. And, and in the classic Pauline format, he gets a little confusing in there, but he's just trying to draw attention to the fact that, that there's damage that's done when we don't understand that what we do in our bodies is connected to our souls, that what we do with sex and physical intimacy is related to who we are becoming. Theologian Richard Hayes says that we need to learn anew how to talk about sexual issues and other moral matters as people who belong to the Lord. Right? That's the story we find ourselves in. People whose moral decisions are shaped not by personal preference or expediency, but by the desire to glorify God in our bodies. <laughs> We've been taught to make decisions about sex and intimacy around personal preferences. What I, what I think or what I want. Or convenience, right? The, the path of least resistance whether it's the opinions or pressures of others or my own temptation, we want it out of convenience, but we have to start with the bigger story we're a part of, that we're called to honor God with our bodies. And that is the only thing that has the power to shape our entire lives. Whenever I've walked with people through addiction, especially through the addiction of porn, um, what often happens is the very first thing is you have to create boundaries, right? You have to remove the temptation. You have to create boundaries and, and roadblocks and make sure that, that access to, to those things is no longer on the table. But, but that doesn't actually do the long-term work. 
right? You can remove the, te- the sin and the temptation, but you ultimately have to have a transformed heart, a transformed way of seeing yourself. It's why Alcoholics Anonymous is so successful because it's not just about removing yourself from alcohol. It's about telling yourself a different story about who you are. And the same goes when it comes to the story of who we are in Christ. We have to separate ourselves sometimes. Maybe, maybe there are places where you need to acknowledge or address or remove where sex has become separated from your soul and it's causing some level of destruction in your life or the life of others, whether that's through porn or temptation or lust or sexual addiction or physical or emotional affairs, sex out of marriage. We have to remove ourselves. We have to flee from temptation, but we also have to be clear on who we are so that when temptation comes, it's not just, okay, I'm strong enough. I'm strong enough to resist it this time because it's never the case. We have to have a better story about who we are. I don't need that because that's not who I am. I am in Christ. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? I am in Christ. Christ is in me. The God of the universe has paid the price. Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's the story we belong to. I have been bought with a price. I belong to Christ, and that changes everything. It's why when we read words like this in 1 Corinthians, we realize that the church, both the early church and even the church today, is called to have a radical moral vision around sex and intimacy. One pastor says that uh, sexual morality was part of the proclamation of a half-hidden story of God's restoration of the created cosmos, right? It was the story that God was redeeming all things, including our bodies, including our sex lives. The early church believed that sex was not something to be overcome, denied, or liberated and indulged, but it was bound up in the resurrected Lord's restoration project of humanity, Everything about our lives, every single thing, including sex, was about the possibilities of living in a life where Jesus is on the throne and his peace and love and joy and trust and hope reigns in the world. If we have been bought at tremendous cost, we must learn what that means for our story. We must behave accordingly. Everything we do in our bodies is a reflection of who we are because of Christ church, what we do with our bodies matters. And it has the possibility, the potential of proclaiming God's sacrificial love for us. That he has the power to set us free from using our bodies or the bodies of others as just tools for personal conquest, enlightenment, or pleasure. We are redeemed. We are restored. All of us. All of our bodies, what you do in your bodies matters because our whole lives tell a story about who we are, of who we belong to, of who has claimed us, of what price he has paid for our freedom. Everything we do in our bodies reflects the salvation we've been given. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, may it be so of us.
may be true in our stories. May we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been claimed body and soul by the God who loves us enough to send his son to die on the cross and set us free, that no sin, no temptation, no brokenness will stand in the way of our redemption and restoration because of the power of Christ, not because we have strength, but because you are our strength. Help all of us, no matter where we are in our journey, learn what it looks like to submit our lives to you, to trust that you have something far better than we could suppress, deny, or claim and indulge on our own. God, we are yours. You are ours. We trust you. Give our lives to you. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.